Hi, unicorns. I'm big mountain skier and adventurer, Lindsay Dyer, and this is the Showing Up Podcast. Conversations with real people who make a life in the outdoors to inspire us all to embrace our weird, do the thing even if we suck at it, and fully show up, whether it's happy or sad, for this one wild and precious life. Today, the second half of my talk with National Geographic photographer and adventurer, Corey Richards. Last time we talked about his early life and how that influenced his career. If you missed it, I highly recommend taking a listen to that episode. It really puts into perspective what we'll talk about today in richer context. Today, we talk about one of the most well-known images of Corey's career, shot moments after surviving a massive avalanche that would forever change his life. Now let's get back to the talk. But real quick, if you've got foot pain, sore arches, or foot cramps, I've got a solution for you. Thanks to Weave, the Showing Up podcast has its first sponsor. Weave is a technology company that makes your feet feel more resilient. Made from photos of your feet taken with your phone, Weave custom fits insoles and sandals to help you keep going in comfort in the mountains, at the beach, or anywhere life takes you. Here's how it works. You take a couple of photos of your feet with the Weave app and Weave turns those photos into 3D models. Your models are then used to custom make insoles and sandals just for you. Weave combines 3D printing and traditional techniques to make products unique to every customer. And you can even choose your own artwork. You skiers already know this, but custom fit does make a huge difference. And the millimeters, they matter. When footwear is made to the precise contours of your feet, just with the right support and just the right places, you will feel, move, and look better. Fans of the Showing Up podcast can get 20% off all orders by using the code SHOWINGUP. That's showing up at WIIVV.com. WIIVV.com. Oh, and one last thing. Weave ships for free and comes with a 30-day happiness guarantee. Try them today using the code SHOWINGUP at Weave.com. All right, here we go. Okay, so back to the story. So I here I am starting my career as a photographer's assistant, really in the fashion world, um, in a capitalist sort of consumerist-driven world, which, quite frankly, I'm going to be honest about. I love fashion. Um, Nothing wrong with that. I love it. Uh, it's such a beautiful form of self-expression. And, and then I finally moved to Canmore, Alberta, and really started climbing or, or photographing with, with a lot of intention that I was going to be a climbing photographer, an adventure photographer. And by virtue of that, I started climbing with a lot of the right people, photographing athletes, Sonny Trotter, Will Gadd, Barry Blanchard, um, you know, these people that were prolific in the sport. And so I got exposure. I started going to outdoor retailer. I started, you know, having meetings. The truth is my photography's raw. It's not the same as I'm not technically perfect. You know, I look at some of my friends and, and peers, Keith Ledzinski, for example, is he makes like literally perfect photographs. Mm. They're technically perfect. And, and, and what it, makes a perfect well, photograph it's just, to you? I mean, it's, it's light, it's composition, it's, it's technicality, it's color, it's posts. I mean, they're perfect. Hmm. Um, and mine look nothing like that. Mine are like kind of fucking cockeyed and, you know, the composition is different and it's just my style. But I, it's funny because I don't blurry? even... blurry? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, like blurry sometimes. <laughs> Off frames. Hmm. It's something that I've really discovered that actually it's it's in the edit it's in it's in people go oh well, your your photography's so emotional or it's so raw and emotive and the lie of it all if i can say that 
is it's in the edit. You just don't choose the frame that people are expecting. Mm. You choose the frame that's actually interesting, that says something versus the one that is the expected. It is the expected frame. Beautiful. And that's true with portraiture or whatever. But but has that has that also lost you some opportunities? Abso- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm not a, a Chris Burkhart or a, I mean, those guys, they're perfect. And that is those you know. When Can you give me some more examples, um, like a Chris Burkhart or that? And, and does that ever upset you? Of course, I'm super jealous of those guys. <laughs> like. You know, I'm jealous to the point of even at times talking shit. And that is a huge failing on my part. Rather than supporting my peers and being like just super happy for their success, I find myself saying things that I am even uncomfortable saying in the moment. Oh, turns out you're human. Thank you. (laughs) It's awful, you know, and it's like, um, but but they are brilliant photographers, you know. And if you were to to go that route you wouldn't feel authentic in yourself not at all not at all um and because of that i'll probably never be you know as well known as mainstream or, name. As, yeah and that's okay is that okay uh i struggle with it but it is okay you know me i'm vain i have like extreme vanity and and um <laughs> explain that well i want to be well known mm-hmm. you know i think but for being who you are but not for playing somebody else's game. Very true. And I think this is this is like something that we we are told as kids: be yourself. No, no, no. And even when, like I was saying on Instagram, so you be yourself. You put out there something you're proud of, and it doesn't get that response, that acceptance that you hoped it would. Right. And so there, then we start to mold ourselves because whether we admit it or not, we do want to be known. We want to. We want that outside affirmation. So I mean, what? How are you resolving that? Or are you not? Is it always kind of this like itch? <laughs> and uh, well, is there anyone you can suggest or look forward, look look at who might be, you know, someone you look up to that has found a resolve to that? Or maybe is that something that maybe you just don't get that affirmation until you're dead, <laughs> you know, in true artists that are doing, have done something new? I'll tell you a story about somebody who's, um, for for years i've had a really big internal issue with jimmy chin mm-hmm. but here's the thing i love jimmy mm-hmm. i have nothing right. against jimmy so you're talking about his work uh, no i'm talking this is what it comes down to i'm jealous it's straight up raw jealousy which is unresolved unchecked bullshit in me so Jimmy's work. Are you certain about that? A hundred percent. Okay. So it has you... nothing to do with Jimmy's work. It has nothing to do with Jimmy himself. It's me having unresolved issues of value. Comparing yourself. It's me caught in a cycle of comparison. And so what I've had to do, and it's and it's actually worked with Jimmy, is when you know I was so I was so worked up about it because I'm like, God damn it, I'm doing cool work too. Like, why is it you know the Jimmy show all the time? Explain that a little bit. Um, so paint the picture of the situation. Well, it's it's more of an internal thing, you know, whether it's on well, Instagram. No, no, you're both photographers. You're right, both okay, National yeah. Geographic. You're, like, coming up at the same time. Like, just kind of paint. So Jimmy's eight situation. years older than me. He was my hero. He was my inspiration, as many climbing photographers look up to somebody. And they've looked up to Jimmy. And, um, and so I found myself all of a sudden rising into the same sort of stratosphere as mm-hmm. him. And then I started to find myself being sort of like, 
bothered that I wasn't getting the same sort of notoriety as Jimmy. And, um, and there's a number of reasons for that. Truth be told, we shoot completely different styles. We're just lumped together socially. And so there's a comparison that evolves by, by virtue of who you're put next to. I think to. a lot of people can relate. Right? Yeah. And, so, and then I started being like, why does it bug me so much? And that's where the real learning moment came in. Because it has, and what I discovered is, like I said, here's this person who maybe I shouldn't be comparing myself to. And here are the reasons why it's worked in his favor and it's worked in my favor. Here's the ways we're different and here's the ways we're the same. And why does any of that matter? It doesn't. What I need to do when I start to feel that way about anybody, whether it's Jimmy, Keith, you know, Chris, whoever it is in this world, or, or Jim Baylog, or fuck it, Sebastio Salgado, what you do at that point, at least this has worked for me, is until you can resolve the inner issues of, of lack of value or whatever it's coming from, I picture myself as a racehorse. <laughs> and racehorses wear blinders. They w wear periphery vision blinders. So they can't see what the horse next to them is doing. Are you sure that's valuable? Because I mean, yes. what I hear you saying is you're in this high stakes environment with these other peers mm -hmm. and there's good and bad, right? It's still a race and, and you're still in it. If they didn't exist, would you be pushing yourself as hard? Would you be uh, pushing yourself more creatively all the time? Like in some ways our, is this competition between peers um, also a good thing? Yeah, of course. And, and therefore to not necessarily, maybe the blinders aren't necessarily, you know, where's healthy competition versus unhealthy? Well, let me explain the blinders. Okay. Okay, so I picture myself literally with blinders on, on a track, blinders up. I know Jimmy and Chris and Renan and everybody's out there. I know we're, we're not necessarily racing, but we're in the same we're in the same arena, mm -hmm, right? Absolutely. So all for the, the blinders, same dollars for the same for thing. the same uh, covers. So <laughs> the, the joy for is the like same advertisers. You can have the blinders up and just say, "I'm going to do me. I'm going to follow my passion and not be distracted by what's going on around me." Because you only have so much energy. But we're still all in it together, and that's the beautiful thing. The camaraderie of 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 creating in the same community is beautiful, as you pointed out, and it does push us. But comparison does not becomes unhealthy. comparison infects us and it paralyzes us so the blinders are only to say i'm going to focus on what's important to me and i know there's some fucking great horses running next to me right now and i appreciate and love them for for the sound of their hooves and to I, be in the same arena yeah i mean that's a gift right it's that thunder of the hooves that's the that's where the drive comes from the heartbeat but i don't need to compare myself and you absolutely just shifted it from right. from an unhealthy like you said comparison to to believing in yourself and believing in in those things that are important to you and going full steam ahead there yeah I can feel the energy shift yeah just you've been for, talking about it. yeah and I mean just for anyone listening we all have that right mm -hmm. our arena of the people that we both respect and admire but also trigger us mm -hmm. uh, and trigger our our unworthiness in some way the, th the other thing that I've really done in terms of like even arriving here at Mountain Film, you know, I heard Jimmy wasn't going to be here and I immediately texted him, you know, because I was genuine because I really wanted to see him because the thing that heals those feelings of sort of the race or the, you know, whatever it is. The separation. Is, is the separation and seeing the people you understand again, oh, they're human, right. they're here and this is not about 
beating or being better than. This is about community. Awesome. And so I think you bring up another good point. If and when you are starting to notice yourself comparing yourself to someone's image, mm-hmm. whether it's on social media or just the, the essence of them versus the actual person. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm hearing you say is trying to meet up with them in person and recognizing that they might be human also. Or yeah, because so often, you know, when you are written up, it's just the glowing. Right. right. Um, or if you are just looking at someone's social, you're like, yeah, they're they're crushing it. Well, they say never meet your heroes. And I've kind of I'm like, always meet your heroes mm. because it shows that we're all human. You'll you'll come to an innate understanding that we're the same. We're all we're, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. And, I, and again, I struggling. like when we get to this point in the conversation, like I always have to say, we're discussing things that are very, very privileged to even be discussing, True. you know, like. Mm-hmm. It's important to know that, you know, these problems are very much, for, for lack of a better term, and, and very so, you know, politically incorrect. These are first world problems. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they're they're very first world, and so it's important not to get too wrapped up to, in it. However, at the same time, it's important to give yourself the space, and time, and recognition to feel what you actually feel. Let it be okay to feel this. Yeah, because. Just saying, well, there's starving kids in Africa doesn't, doesn't actually happen. make you feel any better. Not at all. It makes yeah, you feel worse. That brings up a great point. And I think the work that I've done has shown me that to make it okay to feel however you feel, mm-hmm. um, as you would a little kid who is going is having a tantrum. Yeah. It's okay to feel this way and then to move on. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then get back to um, a strategy, like you've said, on putting your blinders on, remembering what you're here to do. Focusing on that because it can take all of your energy. Yeah. Uh, to be putting on other people and what they're doing and comparing yourself, and it's exhausting. And I think it's, it's absolutely a human condition that we also can condition ourselves to. Well, I think meditation for me comes in here because the more I meditate, and again, I have a tortured relationship with that because the more I do it, the more clarity I get, and the more clarity I get the more my brain pushes back and says, well, this is a lot to handle and I don't want to do it. But the more clarity I get, the more I see how silly a lot of this is. Interesting. But you can view and understand, now I'm feeling jealous. And I see the action that created that and I see the, you see what I mean? Like, sure. So this is where mindfulness starts to come into the conversation. Beautiful. Okay, so let's go back to the story. I, le- I love, I, appreci- I really appreciate you sharing that. I think uh, a lot of people can relate, and that's a pretty scary thing to share publicly. So I admire your courage for sharing. Well, that. just to be clear, Jimmy, I love you. I love <laughs> you so much. I mean, uh, you know, you have shaped and made my career in so many different ways that you don't even know. I'm well, looking at a yeah. book he gave me on the table. Which and isn't is, that always how it is? It's like a, a love-hate almost. Yeah. It's a love uh, that, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah. So back to the story, I I start climbing, I become sort of this young adventure photographer following in the footsteps of people like Jimmy, and I get invited to, um, I get invited to go to the Himalaya with Renan Ozturk, I start meeting and climbing with Conrad, I go to do a, uh, an installation of time-lapse cameras with Conrad in the Khumbu Valley, I climbed Lhotse, so now I'm like breaking into this Himalayan thing. I, I did a new route with Enos Papert on the north face of Kuang De Shar in the winter of 2008. Renan and I did a new route on Tavoche in t- the winter of 2009. Are you guys devel- are you developing like strategies to deal with discomfort? Because that sounds gnarly. Yeah. High elevation, freezing cold, 
malnutrition. <laughs> I mean, the boredom. Yeah, boredom. <laughs> um, the strategies are just innate. You know, it's survival. Mm. And 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 just engaging. I mean, were there ever times uh, as you're coming up where you're like, I don't think I could do that, and then recognizing that you could once you were there? No. No, I. That's something that I actually I think is almost to my detriment. Like I'm like I can do that. You know, this morning. So I that's was, your superpower. Well, yeah, it's like it doesn't <laughs> even occur to me that I can't do it. Interesting. And to the point of it being dangerous, right? Like, look, I'm never gonna free solo, the you know free rider, mm-hmm. like Alex did. Sure. I'm never gonna do that. But my brain doesn't have that shut off switch. It's like, no, if I trained hard enough, I could I could do that. That's bullshit. Hmm. I know it cognitively. I know it like logically, but my brain goes there immediately that's very valuable to me that is a superpower that i haven't spoken to many people that have that it's it's just would you consider would you say that's a masculine trait no because i i don't know i don't (laughs) know just what you have it's just what i have okay so we have like 30 like let's say like 25 more minutes i want to make sure we we hit all of the best points i know i know i we were never going to get through all of it but i just want to make sure we'll we'll do round two yeah so anyway and then i get invited to go to gashabram too in the winter of 2010-11, which is the 13th highest mountain in the world. Um, I'm invited by Simone Moro and Dennis Arupko, and we're trying to do the first winter ascent. And this is this would be the first winter ascent of any of the Pakistani 8,000-meter peaks. I would become, and I believe, yeah, I still am, the only American to climb any 8,000-meter peak in winter. I didn't know this stuff at the time. I was wow. just like, sure, I'll go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can do it. I can totally do it. I mean, and of course there's fear in base camp um, that I can't do it. That happens, okay. but that's fear-based, right? That's not like project-based. That's mm. like I'm looking up at this huge thing going, <laughs> I'm super scared and maybe I can't overcome my fear. Mm. And so we go and we, we actually do it. I don't acclimatize all the way and we start descending into a storm we nail the summit in this 12-hour weather window and we start descending into a storm and we are two days into it and we're leaving camp one and we got hit by a massive avalanche and we were all three partially buried all three of us survived and directly after getting out of that avalanche and here's the thing i don't want to go too much into the detail of the avalanche because there's a couple reasons a it's it's just upsetting and b I'm, I'm sick of telling it. You've told it a million times. Yeah. There's a film about it. Yeah. So, and I turn the camera on as soon as we're out of the snow and I film myself feeling this emotional wave come on and I start crying. And that footage has now been sort of, you know, in the outdoor world, it's quite well known. And then a little bit later, feeling this ice on my face, feeling this exhaustion, I turned the camera on and I took a selfie, a series of selfies really. And that's the one that, that is arguably my most well-known photograph Mm -hmm. well we can't go there without talking about what it was like to truly face your mortality okay (laughs) fuck no (laughs) just fair so what i remember is describe you've got to describe the situation i'm sorry you do no it's okay sorry not sorry so we left camp one and we're walking across this big glacial plateau underneath a mountain called Gashabram 5. And we're in this massive glacial coom. Um, and in order to descend this glacier or ascend it, you, because it's so broken in the middle, you have to go very close to 
the slopes that form Gashabrum 5 and Gashabrum 6. And on those slopes, there are seracs or hanging ice cliffs, a lot of them. And so we leave Camp 1, and we're traversing very close to that shoulder where it starts to go up. And it's been snowing for two days, and we hear a crack and sort of that sound of thunder. Is it snowing at the time? Is it's it, snowing. It's white it's, out, It's right? waist-deep snow, literally waist-deep, trying to break thr- trail through it. And it's so I, and immediately I hear this, and I know it's an avalanche. So you know what's above you, but you can't see it. I knew what it was above us, and I couldn't see it because I had seen it slide already. Okay. I had watched it slide earlier in the trip. And so the crack, the boom, and... You know, honestly, I say it's, we've said it's a class four. I don't even know how big it was. It was just like, it felt a massive. A class four, for anyone listening, would yeah. bury a town. Yeah. Everything so, destroyed. It's That's like, one of, as you, it rarely happens because they're so massive and so destructive. And so it comes down and, and it pushes us a long way. We're in what's called the deposit zone or the depot zone. So we're on flat ground. So it's starting to slow down as it hits us. But it's such a mass of snow. It starts pushing us across this flat ground over these crevasses. And there's um, chunks like as big as houses? As big uh, as cars? As big as cars. And it wasn't until later that we were all tied together. And there's only three of us, you know. And uh, I just remember being really angry hmm. and just, just genuinely upset that I was dying. That I was going to die. Like, How long was that period of like being pushed, getting tumbled? Who knows? I mean, I have no idea. Hmm. But I do remember the, how fast the brain goes and how, how separate you are in those moments. So you're looking at the situation while you're in it. Yeah. Interesting. You're observing it. You hear how loud it is from an outside perspective. You're also thinking about all sorts of weird, at least I was, all sorts of weird thoughts. You know, your life does, I've said this before, your life flashes before your eyes, but it's not in the way you think. Yeah, it's explain like, that. It's like I was thinking about Cheerios. I remember thinking about Cheerios and like parking tickets and weird, just weird shit. It's not this beautiful mural. Mm-hmm. With it, the sweet background music? Yeah, which we did in cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the montage. The montage, like a kid running through a field and like, <laughs> but that does describe it. And then Why Cheerios though? I don't know. Because I love Cheerios. So, but it wasn't emotionally based, right? I mean, that's no. In, it was just, when I've been in those situations, the pictures that come up, there's nothing emotional about no, it. No, it's, it's literally just pictures. It's like facts, right? It's like your brain, and this is, I think, pretty normal. It's, it's your brain is searching for resolution because it's preparing for death. So it's latching on to certain memories and different things that have gone on in life, and so it's, it's pre- looking for resolve. It's looking for resolution, and what happens and this is PTSD, is when the brain doesn't have resolution for a traumatic experience, your sympathetic nervous system carries that experience and and it gets caught in one of the hemispheres of your brain. And so it's it's like a wheel that just keeps spinning. And so people that experience trauma often find themselves going back into the exact same scenarios that they, that they experience the trauma in. So if something really tragic or messed up happens in a dark alley, mm-hmm. people find themselves walking down dark alleys inexplicably. No way. Yeah. Uh, if peop- that's why people who have experienced um, 
you know, very traumatic relationships often find themselves in very similar relationships. Hmm. Because the brain is trying to find resolve in that old situation in a new one. Yes. Hmm. It's just searching for resolution. So the integration of these experiences really requires engaging the other half of your brain and bringing logic back into the to the situation and seeing okay well there's the trigger but everything's fine mm-hmm. rather than looking for resolution per se or like a loud crack that that triggers the ptsd in a um ex-marine or yeah and i or what was it i think it was yesterday somebody pulled a chair out across a wooden floor mm. and it created a low rumble sound mm. that i looked over and i still have those like you're still you can oh, still be triggered yeah. even though i know you've been through all kinds of help for it oh it's still oh my God. there for sure planes fly overhead yeah i know i've i've heard that yeah um anything that's a low rumble for me yeah uh, thunder thunder it to me is uh re- deeply upsetting but it at this point i can watch it happen mm-hmm. and i'm like oh okay, not, it's a not chair, react but still feel it wow um and that's the other thing about trauma that i really want to bring up is Trauma right now is kind of a hot word, and uh, we need to make sure we don't abuse it, but we also need to make sure that we create space for it for people because it doesn't matter how you get the trauma. Um, It can be rape. It can be a car accident. It can be an abusive relationship. It can be an IED, combat. It can be an avalanche. Mm -hmm. The space for trauma is the same. It's all the same, and the symptoms are the same. And nobody's trauma is more or less relevant than somebody else's. And what we've started to do, and soldiers that I've talked to abhor this because they understand it so dramatically, is that we've reserved trauma and PTSD for people who have been in combat. Mm -hmm. We -hmm. don't allow people who haven't been in combat to experience it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so what would you say from experiencing it is the solution helps to heal it community Hmm. a a space to talk about it a space for people not to roll their eyes because this is real Mm -hmm. you know it's it's very real it's also important for us back to honesty not to abuse it or overuse it you know to get 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 attention from yeah it and yeah yeah, i mean i shudder talking about it sometimes because i don't want it to be that for me because it's it's very very genuine and so i and, and of course, I think therapy, you know, but I mm-hmm. like I watched I have a hard time even accepting that this has been a part of my life now because I don't want it to be an excuse or part of your story. Right. So speaking of that, I would love for you to describe we've described some some tough times, some some traumatic times. I'd love for you to describe one of your personal greatest accomplishments. Take <laughs> us through that story. Um Well, that's an obvious hard thing. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I don't know. I've, I've, I don't know. You just summited Everest. I know. Without oxygen and it was NBD. No big deal. Well, it's not NBD. <laughs> to the rest of us watching you on Snapchat. Right. <laughs> it was amazing. Which is so funny that I have such an opinion on social media and we did that. I know. So I can't wait to go go there, but we. We might not have I time. don't know that. We'll get to that on the next podcast. Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, see, because here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. And I'm going to give away my talk tomorrow at, at Telluride Mountain Film. But what I've realized in hindsight is that Everest 
summiting Everest, the literal summit, was the physical rock bottom of my entire life. The physical rock bottom. Meaning... Because you felt horrible? No. Because it was the farthest place that I could ever go to get away from everything that I actually was. And only in hindsight can you realize how far you've run from yourself before <laughs> you... 28,000 feet 29, as far 000. as any human possibly can. <laughs> Interesting point. <laughs> so that was... And you still couldn't get out. That's rock bottom. Um, I mean, it's a wonderful accomplishment. But I've always said that, and part of the reason this community is hard for me sometimes is we tend to celebrate those accomplishments and not what they actually represent. Mm. And oftentimes they do represent running from things. Okay, so again, back to something for personally you. One of your greatest accomplishments that you felt elated and proud of yourself and just like on top of the world. I want to hear that story. It doesn't necessarily, I'm not expecting that it's summoning Everest. I'm just, uh, that's what I want to hear described. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's uh, not doing anything. <laughs> I just, I'm curious. I mean, I'm not trying to be dark or morose. I just, I don't remember the last time I felt on top of the world. You don't? No. In your whole life? I, I just don't. What about when you printed I just, an image that you love and, and, and it's printed huge and it sparkles? Trust me, I'm like, I'm bummed about this <laughs> question that I'm having such a hard time. Hmm. And I'm well, not I mean, trying to make it dramatic, I, but I just don't, I cannot place well we've also had the whole conversation has been fairly dark well that's sort of yeah i hate, i mean i'm a playful person but i fuck i you know it, no that's what's one of your beautiful parts about you is you're not afraid to go there you're comfortable there it's, and i think that's a huge value because that's courage but i wish i could i wish i could uh, name something for you i mean there's a lot of stuff that i like i was proud when i got my house in bozeman not because of a thing, but because all of a sudden I was, like I felt like I had a home. A home. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, but I, I just don't know. I mean, that's such a, that right there is something really interesting for me to look into as a human. Like honestly, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. I just don't know. I know you love jewelry. I do love jewelry. I know you love inc beautiful, like incredible clothes. I love seeing the way you dress because I know you're going to dress really well. Do you have any, like, there's got to be something where you find something magical you haven't seen before. Well, I love art. And love it's a art. very, it's a huge privilege for me to be able to collect little pieces. I'm not like, I wouldn't call myself an art collector, but, and I look at art as jewelry, painting, photography, and I have, I tend to surround, you know, in my house, I have things that I'm very, very proud of. Not because I own them, but because they represent certain things. Mentors. Mm. Um, so there's a photo by a guy, a guy named Marco Grubb, who I, you know, it's in my sort of entrance way, and it's huge, and it's from the Omo Valley, and it's this very, you know, quiet moment with a, you know, with this warrior figure who's sort of kneeling in this massive expanse behind him. So those things. That fill your home. That fill my home bring me joy. That you created. And it's not that, again, I want to make a delineation between material wealth. That's not what it is. It's the, it's, it's the feeling they create. Absolutely. Um, and 
and you relationships. You created that safe place for yourself. Right. That's well, absolutely something to be proud of. I no am, one did that for you. The, from the homeless kid. Yeah. <laughs> when you put it like that. But I appreciate you, you bringing it up. I just, it's an insight. It's not meant to be poor me at all. I just can't. No, it just shows how hard you are on yourself. That, yeah, incredibly. Mm-hmm. But look what beauty it has brought to the world. Well. I, I get lit up by your work, and I think a lot of people do. Oh, I know they do. I mean, look at your success. And to you, you're like, it's not good enough. It's not good <laughs> enough. <laughs> but isn't that, you know, enough. it's a blessing and a curse. Because it is. Because look what it was, has created. But that's, I think, back to our original place, which is how can I, and because I am a man, my only experience with this is being a man. And I think part of the confusion right now is not knowing when to stop or how to celebrate accomplishment because we're in a world where it's bigger, better, faster, more. And once you've done something, you just move on to the next. And especially as men, we're mm-hmm. not encouraged to take time to accomplish and be with, we're, we're encouraged to accomplish but amass accomplishments. Mm. We're not encouraged to, to accomplish and then, I don't want to say, how do I say this? Like, help me out here. It's not, we shouldn't ride on, we, like, we shouldn't sit on our laurels, mm-hmm. but we also shouldn't keep going just like at a breakneck pace to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Being well, a man I think is, we all recognize once we've accomplished a few things that that's not where it's at. Yeah. Because, yeah, you can tick off all kinds of things on your bucket list, but that's ultimately, it's not fulfilling what you hoped it would. And I think if we're really going to go there since we can, I think what we're really searching for is a level of connection to divine. That's what we're really looking for. And that's why I love to, to share with people, yes, I've been on the all over the world, and I've been to the highest mountains, and I've accomplished uh, as much as as you can and I've had as far as you know what I wanted and I've I've had the most incredible relationships but where I do believe we are all trying to get to is the divine and what's so neat about that is it is accessible to anyone and I think it is through meditation and breath and no matter who you are no matter what you look like no matter what your financial economic status is it's accessible mm-hmm. and I think that's where we all get to eventually I don't disagree with anything you said. I agree completely with everything you said. Yeah. And so, but it's so funny how you even said when you meditate, you have a broader perspective, which you also struggle with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It brings up more to confront, um, but ultimately through is the way out. Yeah. One last question I had, you know, like I said, we could, we could go on and on, but I'm really curious how you've said, well, I know I can do anything, you know, like, oh, I can, you say yes without fear to the gnarliest of of expeditions and i'm curious in those situations when you like you described you're looking up at something pretty scary and Mm -hmm. you're afraid Mm -hmm. but how do you get through through that fear to to keep going does that make sense well you act i mean you just go you so you're okay with the unknown in those situations you know i'm just trying to put myself in your in your position that i'm sure you've seen that i am so i can't imagine you're in the middle of nowhere help is so far away you could never count on it it's it truly is only you and maybe and the team that you're with there are so many unknowns you know like you said that the avalanche is up there and Mm -hmm. yet we are 
we're trying to to get up there also (laughs) i mean for me it's always come down to and this is true with inspiration this is true with creation this is true with as you pointed out um connecting with you know the divine or with god we always wait for things to happen we wait for for that connection to come to us we wait for um, inspiration to create art but the truth is and this is true with fear is the resolve is in acting so when you are scared of something you move into it Mm. when you feel bereft of creative you know energy you make art you just do and in the doing the inspiration comes and in the moving into fear the fear dissolves that's and that's i think the the process of all of this in the confusion of being a man you look into the confusion of it in the confusion of me too and everything that's happening you go into the confusion and the resolve presents itself but the longer we stare at it and say well i don't know what to do Mm. it's kind of like I'm so sick of all these debates on is climate change real or not? Yeah. How about we just start acting? It might not even be the correct action, but it will lead to another one. Action, you know, is I don't want to I don't want to advocate above and beyond, you know, sort of this idea of action through non-action. But I also think that we need to engage with the things that make us deeply uncomfortable with everything in life or even when we don't know. So just to make a make a move. Yeah, make a move. Move forward. Yeah. Or choose consciously to not move. And that too can be an action, but you have to choose it consciously. You can't just act out of paralysis. Mm-hmm. That you, you nailed something for sure. So often when we when we don't know, we just we just don't move. We just sit. And I've been in that situation multiple times in my life where I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um and so I wasn't doing anything. And I, at this point, this story, it it was one of my lowest points. I'd gone to a year of college. I was deeply disappointed with college. I had expected it to be so inspirational and I just thought it, found it to be uh, an extension of high school. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the summer trying to decide if I was going to go back, but I had, I didn't know what my passion was. I didn't know anything. And I went in and talked to an old teacher over the summer and she said, just take a step a step in any direction. I think we're so we're so obsessed with making the right. I I was mm-hmm. so concerned about making the right choice, the right step. And she was like, "It's okay. Just make a step because that will lead to another step and to another. And even if it's the wrong step, it it gives you a, a data point to say, "Nope, that was a no." Yeah, <laughs> and now I know. Check him. that off the list and now I can go in a different direction. Um so I think you absolutely I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I, I like that story because it's true. It's just take a step. Mm. Take any step. Act. Act. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the question. How do, you, how do I shoot for National Geographic or how mm. do I? You act. You go. You know, you make every effort and overture possible to find yourself in the position where that becomes a reality. You just act. It's not going to come to you. And it might not look the way you expected it to. Oh my in fact, God. you can guarantee that it won't. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it won't come with those those bells and whistles and light bulbs and sparkles um and you'll be like where is it well it must be in the next accomplishment and then you'll find out that it's not there either (laughs) and that's yeah that's the whole that's that's the sort of the zen koan the the unanswerable question that leads back to itself but look at all the beauty it can create in the process that is the point is that (laughs) 
it's not about being happy or trying to find happiness or being sad. It's about being happy and sad. Mm. It's about it's not about being resolved or confused. It's about being resolved and confused. When we find the ability to experience the entire breadth of human existence without judgment of ourselves, that is called joy. And joy is it's accessible always. And that's where, but I'll honestly, you know, that's what the journey is. But oftentimes we don't even see it until we're past it. Isn't that the truth? Well, it's great that we still have stuff to work on. Thank goodness. Yeah. What else is this life for? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to, if we had it figured out, maybe it would be boring. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny though, is the more you talk about it and the more you start to be vulnerable and the more you start to like be really talk about all this stuff, mm-hmm. the more people expect you to have it all figured out. When you're just like, no, I just told you I'm super fucked up. And like, (laughs) I have all these issues and I make mistakes all the time. And they're like, I don't have the answers. Yeah, I don't have the answers. But the more you talk about it openly, the more people sort of expect you to have it resolved. Mm. But I still make mistakes and I still am super confused about what it means to be a man. And I have no idea where I fit in in this whole moment in time. Do you ever notice how, and we really have to close it up here, but do you ever notice how that makes other people uncomfortable when you admit? that you don't have it figured out because it makes people feel, especially a man. You know, I once had this discussion with a, um, a girlfriend of mine. We were like, uh, she's a professional skier and she's like, no, I would hate it if my dad said he didn't, he didn't know what to do. That would make me feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to hear it from men that you're not confident and that you don't know what's going on. Even if you're wrong, it makes us feel safe to, to make it for you guys to seem like you have it all going on. And so my point is, as you have taken this risk in sharing this, have you noticed how it that it makes unpe- other people uncomfortable to hear it? Well, yeah, and it leads back. It makes people very uncomfortable to hear it, and it's you know, people like it from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when it's up in their face, when it's up it, in their it, f- it's a reflection on them and their our own insecurities that we don't necessarily want to feel. But again, it's it's back right back to the beginning. What does that mean? And I think that's actually a whole other podcast for us is like yeah. maybe with more men is like, what does it mean to be a man? Because yeah. it, I don't think we really resolved that in this at all. Um, and I think it also touches on your contrarian side that somewhat enjoys to make other people feel uncomfortable because that is where we grow. Mm-hmm. And you're clearly committed to growth. <laughs> so thank you for that, Mr. Corey. We will do this again. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can't wait to come back and talk about more stuff. And yeah. um, Good luck on your speaking tomorrow. I know you don't need it, but... We'll be rooting for you. Thank you. I will not break a leg. What are you most looking forward to in 30 seconds? 30 seconds? What's up and coming that we should all look for? Uh, I have a big new project that I'm pitching with National Geographic uh, that focuses on a piece of society and how it intersects with climate change. And uh, that will be forthcoming. That's sort Mm. of the next three or four years of my life, I think. Wow. Big Um, project big project and then next spring i'm going to try to go back and do a new route on everest mbd yeah mbd yo yeah right <laughs> so oh a new route oh, sweet. and again <laughs> from a very privileged perspective i get it i understand what? so no yeah no we didn't need to put it from a privileged perspective awesome yeah no it I is awesome we, we look forward to seeing it and i uh, look forward to our next podcast thanks darling thanks buddy Thank you so much for listening, friends. If you enjoyed the conversation, give us a review on iTunes. Spread the word and be sure to subscribe. 
Also, huge thanks to our sponsor, Weave, who makes 3D custom insoles and sandals specific to the contours of your feet. Fans of the Showing Up podcast can get that 20% off all orders by using that code, Showing Up. That's showing up at WIIVV.com. Our theme is Wings by Nikolai Halaitis, used under the Creative Commons license. Until next time, see you in the mountains, unicorns.